Hey, this week, um, churches all over the world have been celebrating, have been remembering the anniversary of uh, an event, a very important event that occurred in the German town of Wittenberg approximately 500 years ago. We know this is to be one of the key events of what was to become the Reformation, the time where the church rediscovered the truth of the gospel. Now, now on uh, October the 31st, uh, 1517, uh, a German monk marched up to the doors of a church in Wittenberg and nailed a piece of paper, a very famous piece of paper. Now, on this piece of paper, there were 95 statements or 95 theses, 95 critiques or ideas of the practices and beliefs of the church at the time. Now, we know this monk to be Martin Luther. And he, just like anyone else, would have no idea how much impact, how much influence this piece of paper was going to have. Now, it was copied, it was published, and it didn't just find its way into the hands of the normal people of Wittenberg, and not just in Germany, but actually all throughout Europe. This 95 thesis was one of those key events of where the church rediscovered, where people came around the gospel yet again and uncovered historical Christianity. Now, life for Martin Luther spiraled out of control. His ideas continued to develop. He kept going back to Scripture. What does it say? What is the gospel? What is the root of the Christian message? His convictions grew. His, his sense of Scripture tells us what is true continued to grow. He found himself before princes, before councils, before all kinds of different people defund, defending what he had uncovered. One of the most famous of these councils was before a group of leaders in the town of Vams. And in this, in this council, Luther defended himself saying, look, I, I, I believe in the truth of Scripture. Scripture tells us what truth is. And my conscience can't say otherwise. And he finishes his statement with these words. I cannot and I will not recant. On this, I take my stand. I can do no other. God help me. And we know the, the Reformation isn't, this rediscovery of true Christian doctrine, isn't just isolated to Martin Luther. And it's not just isolated to this event in Germany. But it's much bigger than that. And it's a heritage that we are a part of. Now, now to understand how Martin Luther got to this point, let, let's go back earlier on in his life. You see, Martin Luther was born in the town of Eisleben and was a pretty bright little boy. I mean, his parents recognized this. So they had high hopes for little Martin. He was going to be a lawyer. So the dutiful son that he was, he went off to law school. Uh, but not long after his enrollment in law school, he was traveling through the night one evening and was caught in a ferocious storm. Now, he feared for his life. He thought he was going to get struck by lightning. So in sheer terror, he cries out to, to God and to St. Anne, and he says, 
Please spare my life. Please spare my life. I will give it all to you. Please spare me and I will devote myself to your service, Lord. Well, he doesn't get hit by lightning and he survives the storm. But he stands true to his vow. He's going to devote his life to service. So he enrolls as a monk in the Augustinian order. And then begins this process of education, first with a bachelor's degree, then with a master's degree. And as he's learning, he gets told something like this. Look, God is gracious. God will give you righteousness. But only once you have demonstrated that you deserve it. You can have God's grace, but you've got to show yourself to be worthy of it. So it seems like a simple truth. But for Luther, that produced an intense anxiety. Because he's saying, okay, I can get this righteousness. God will give me this righteousness only if I am righteous. Right, I'm going to try and be righteous. I can't. He looked inside of himself. He looked in his heart. He looked in his mind. He looked into the depths of his soul. And all he could find was corruption. All he could find was sin. He could not do anything good. So, so he begins to panic. Well, everyone around me is saying I need to reach this level of righteousness to obtain God's grace, yet I can't do that. So what is left for me? Well, nothing but to experience God's judgment outside of Jesus Christ. So he began to feel anxious. There was no sense of security. He was constantly restless. How can I improve my righteousness to receive this salvation? Well, I I just can't do it. So what he's being told was, look, God will give you grace, but only after you've done all that you can. But he said, I can't do anything. What am I going to do? You see, the big question for Martin Luther was this. How am I justified? How am I seen? Let's word this a different way. How am I seen as righteous in God's sight? How can I be accepted by the Almighty? What he's being told was, well, once you've demonstrated yourself worthy. You've got to have it all together first, and then God will love you. You've you've got to be righteous, then you can have this grace, this righteousness, you can have this salvation, but just make sure you don't step out of line, Martin Luther. Now, Now, that was the way he was answering this question, but his convictions began to change. He answered this question very, very differently as his knowledge of Scripture grew. Two things changed that. Firstly, a man called Johann Tetzel came to town. Now, Johann Tetzel was essentially uh, a salesman for the Roman Catholic Church. And basically what the church has said to him, particularly the Pope, I'm going to give you these pieces of paper. They're called indulgences. And on this piece of paper, you can fill in the name of someone who's already died. And if someone buys this piece of paper, that name that's on the piece of paper can be granted entry into heaven. So 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 Johann Tetzel would walk around all of the villages throughout Europe selling these indulgences, saying, if you pay the money, we will ensure that your dead relatives can make it into heaven. This was how the church was going to get rich. This was how they were going to build their very grand buildings, how they were going to build St. Peter's in Rome. Martin Luther was really disturbed by this. He thought to himself, well, hang on a second. If, If the Pope is really compassionate and had the power to release these souls into heaven, then wouldn't he do it out of love and not for money? He was getting really upset by this. But a bigger, 
and more transformative event or series of events in his life was when he was asked to teach through three books of the Bible, to give lectures on the book of Psalms, on the book of Galatians, and on the book of Romans. Now, what Martin Luther did was he he stepped away from the Latin translation and went back to the original language, Greek. And as he studied, and as he wrestled with the text, his convictions or his answers to this question, how am I I justified, completely changed. How am I seen as righteous in God's sight? This is Martin Luther's rediscovery. So here's what we're going to do. You you get your Bibles and open them up to Romans chapter 1. Because what we're going to do is follow some of Martin Luther's footsteps. We're going to make a few pit stops in the first five chapters of Romans. I kind of walk the same steps of Martin Luther as he rediscovered the biblical, the true, the right answer to the question, how am I justified? So let's think about this first answer. I'm going to read verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. This was huge for Martin Luther and consequently huge for the Western church. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, now this is the key verse, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now in his Latin translation of the Bible, Martin Luther had read that last phrase, the righteous shall live by faith, this way. He had said, those who live faithfully can have righteousness. So that's, that's the way he had seen it. That's how the Latin translation of the Bible had translated it. If you live faithfully, you can have this righteousness. But deep down, he knew he couldn't be righteous. He looked inside of him and saw selfishness and just this inability to do anything to meet God's glorious standard. But he said, I, I can't live this kind of faithful life. So it goes back to the original language. And what does it say? It says exactly as we have it. The righteous shall live by faith. So this righteousness is received by faith. So at the beginning of that verse, it says, for in it the righteousness of God. So then that changes for Martin Luther. He had read that, the righteousness of God, as merely pointing to a quality of God. Now that's not wrong. But what did Paul really mean? Well, actually, he's talking about a gift of God. That God's righteousness in this passage right here, of course, is a quality, but it's talking about a gift of righteousness. So the righteous shall live by faith, and this righteousness is a gift. Here's a good way to perhaps understand how Martin Luther's thinking was changing on this. We've we've got Christmas coming up, haven't we? And I, I know if you... We've got it coming up. Yes, it's November already. Can you believe it? I go into the shops in Bury and they're plastered with Christmas decorations. And I'm going to admit it, I love it. I'm a Christmas junkie. I love this kind of stuff. I love the Christmas music and I, I don't care that it's November and we're hearing that. I really don't care. I love it. Love getting Christmassy. I want to decorate my house now if I was allowed to. But, but imagine I say to Jude, right, my, my boy Jude, he's, he's four. And I say to him, right, Jude, um, Christmas is on the way and I have got the best present you could ever have. I mean, it's going to change your life, this present. You're going to love it. But you can only have this present if you do all that I do. If if you be like me. If you do what I do in my average week, then you can have this present. So Jude would try that, wouldn't he? Well, 
can't drive a car. That would end badly. Um, can't play football with the lads on a Wednesday. That's going to end badly. Uh, try and do the work of a pastor. Uh, oh, can't do that. So how would Jude begin to feel? He'd feel a bit confused. He would feel frustrated. He might even begin to get a little bit resentful at me. Dad's got this present for me, but he wants me to be like him and I can't do it. So how am I going to get this? Well, imagine if I said to Jude, look, I just love you, man. I'm going to give you this present. You're not going to be like me until you grow up. You can't drive a car. You can't play football. You can't work a normal week. But I just give him his present. So this is how Martin Luther is switching. He's going from this God who he feels resentful towards to a God who gifts him righteousness. So that's his first answer. I am justified by a gift of righteousness. It's not earned. It's a gift. But a question was still lingering over this. Well, if it's really a gift, how does that gift work? Is it God gifts us salvation? He, he gifts us this righteousness, and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to live up to it? I mean, is it that kind of a gift? Is it, okay, here's, here's this present for you, here's this gift, and you better be careful you don't drop this. You better be careful you live righteous because if I'm going to give you this righteousness, you better live it out because if you don't, I'm going to take it back. Or if you don't, you're going to drop it and break it and therefore you can't have a gift anymore. I mean, is it, is it that kind of a gift? Is it a gift of God's righteousness to us and then we are responsible to live it out? You see, for Martin Luther, that's still a problem. Because even if he was given the gift of righteousness, he knew after accepting it by faith, He's still broken. He's still messed up. Begins to make more of a discovery here. Let's jump forward to Romans chapter 4. As he moves through Romans, as he's reading this, along with the rest of the New Testament, he's going to get more answers to this. Now look at Romans chapter 4. The heading in my Bible is Abraham justified by faith. And this is where Paul develops the argument to say, look, this Old Testament character of Abraham, he wasn't justified by his good works. He was justified by a gift of righteousness. But the big question is, whose righteousness? So let's read the first three verses. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what, for what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham has been gifted with this righteousness. This is Paul's argument in Romans. Martin Luther seeing that. We can read that. But the big question is, well, well, what is this righteousness like? Whose righteousness is it? Is it God's righteousness, then my righteousness? Well, Paul answers that at the, right at the end of the chapter, chapter 4, verse, verse 24. But for us also, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who was raised from the dead, who who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, verse 25, this is key, who was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. So this is like, uh, this is is a bomb going off in Luther's life. So this gift of righteousness, righteousness isn't, okay, God gives me a righteousness and I have to live perfectly for the rest of my life. This is actually, this is Luther understanding and seeing what Paul is saying This gift of righteousness is a righteousness that isn't my own. It's a righteousness outside of me. It is 
the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not, not just the righteousness of Jesus at salvation, not just the righteousness uh, and then into my righteousness, but continually the righteousness of Jesus. Now, I came face to face with, face to face with this truth when I was a real baby Christian. So in, in May 2008, I had gone on some trip uh, to work with a, a football ministry in Cincinnati in the States. And, and, and I was living there and we were working in the office most days. And during lunchtime, I'd eat my sandwich and then read a couple of blogs on, online. So as I was reading these blogs, I just wanted to grow. I wanted to know more about scripture. I wanted to understand this. And so I'd read these blogs and I came across one blog that said something along the lines of this. Look, salvation is a gift and you'll be given that. But make sure you hold it carefully. Don't trip up. Don't mess up because you can forfeit that gift. It'll break. Go to take it back. And being a baby Christian, I was just going to believe that. I mean, if the internet said it, of course it's true. So, so, I, so I stepped back, and just a sense of panic descended upon me. I thought, hang on a second. I've been given this gift of righteousness, but I know I'm not righteous now. So does that mean God's taken it? I mean, this is just absolute panic washed over me. Just terrified. Well, there we go. I'm not perfect. I can't live like all of the Christians around me. I looked inside and I saw tons of times where I should have been more compassionate and I wasn't. I saw loads of times where I should have been more generous and yet I kept something for myself. I saw tons of times where I should have been more patient and joyful and kind and and I just really wasn't. And however hard I tried, I couldn't live out this perfect righteousness that I thought I had to live. I couldn't do it. I remember I had about seven nights of just no sleep whatsoever. I thought, well, I might as well just look forward to a good life now, because I know I'm going to hell, I'm going to be condemned for all of this. And I walked down the road and went to to Kroger, it's a supermarket, I bought a half gallon of sea salt caramel ice cream and sat on the bench and ate it, I thought, well, I need some comfort food right now, I'm I'm not feeling great. And I reached out to a couple of mentors, I reached out to a couple of people who knew the gospel a hundred times better than I did at that point. And they said, James, don't you see, don't you see your salvation? Cannot ever depend on your righteousness because you don't have any. And they said to me, James, look, if it depended on your righteousness, you would have lost it 30 seconds into having it. All of us would. We, we can't hold on to it. Like It doesn't depend on our righteousness. They said, look, James, you need to see this. This is how the gospel works. And exactly what Paul is saying right here. It is about the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. It's not Jesus' righteousness and your righteousness. It's Jesus Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's not about you. Maintaining your salvation. No, it's about Jesus. So I'm justified by Jesus Christ alone. Many of these mentors were saying to me, James, don't you see that you've been united to Jesus? Don't you see you're one with him? Don't you see that he was raised for He was delivered up for your transgressions and raised for your justification. It's about him, and it was never even about you. I've never experienced peace like that wash over me. I've never felt that that joy like that really, you know, in, in that capacity and that 
magnitude since that moment. I was just set free from the condemnation of my own rubbishness. This is why the Bible talks about this truth in terms of marriage. It's a beautiful picture. Let me illustrate. Early this year, I officiated my first ever wedding. It's a really, really terrifying thing to do. really is. You don't want to get it wrong. There was, there was four photographers around. There were video cameras. I was like, I can't slip up. I'm going to be in trouble. So it's a wedding in Atlanta. I'm wearing a, a suit that I bought here in Britain. So stupidly, it's 40% wool. So I'm just dripping with sweat. And, and you're, you're adding, add that to the nerves. Add that to the tension of the situation. I've got to get this right. I can't slip up. But then I was just spellbound by the vows because, because I had to give the vows, all of the tradi- traditional ones. But before that, they gave some vows to each other. And this was just stunning stuff. Because the, 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 the to-be husband said to his to-be wife something along these lines. All that I am, I'm giving to you. All that you are, I'm taking upon myself. Do you see that? You've got to go hear that. He, he was effectively saying to her, All that I am, my very person, I'm giving to you. And all that you are, I'm taking upon myself. Isn't there any wonder why the gospel, why marriage points to the gospel? Why that's the main illustration in scripture, in our world, for how this actually works. Here's how Martin Luther puts it. For if Christ is a bridegroom, he must take upon himself all the things which are his bride's, and bestow upon her the things that are his. For if he gives her his body and very self, how shall he not give her all that is his? And if he takes the body of his bride, how shall he not take all that is hers? You see what Paul's saying in the end of Romans? All that we are, Jesus has taken upon himself. And all that he is, even himself, has been given to people like you and me. You see how mind-bending this would have been for Martin Luther, just to say, what, is that what the Bible's on about? I'm justified by Jesus Christ alone. I'm united to him, I am one with him, and even his very self is given to me. That's got nothing to do with my righteousness. My righteousness is not making me right in God's sight. It's Jesus Christ alone. Hey, there's one more observation I want to, I'm going to draw out of this truth of being justified. Let's jump back to verse 13 of chapter 4. There's there's three or four verses I want to read here. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Here's the key verse in 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. I'm going to flip forward to the, to the book of Galatians in chapter 2. You, you can join me there too if you like, or I can just read it. Verses, verses 16 here communicates the same truth. Yet we know, this is Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by 
faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. See what's going on in Luther's life is that okay it's a gift of righteousness it's Jesus's righteousness alone but the means the way that righteousness is received is by faith. Before it was seen by good works. In these Bible times, it was by works of the law. But it's actually by faith. Now, Luther and many of the other reformers were saying, look, we need to see a key distinction with faith. Faith isn't like this muscle you have to try and exercise. You've got this weak faith, and then you have to grow it with your hard work and with your discipline and your devotion. Then you might have a strong faith. Because if that's what faith was then your salvation is depending on you because that's the way you receive it. No, faith's not like this virtue. This is the way they would describe faith. Faith is a gift that God gives you that enables you to open your eyes and take a hold of Christ. That's what faith is. Here's the exact words Luther and Calvin would use. Calvin's another reformer. They would say, look, faith is a gift God gives you, and here's the word, that enables you to grasp all that Christ is. It's God opening your eyes to the truth of the gospel, recognizing that nothing else can satisfy your soul like Jesus Christ. So it's clinging, it's embracing all that he is to you, for you, and through you. That's what faith is. So, so faith, as a good illustration, is, is like glasses. I'm going to have to go to Specsavers in a couple of weeks. I know what they're going to tell me. They're going to say, James, you need some new glasses. So I'm going to do an eye test. I'm going to take my glasses off. And when I take them off, I can't see a thing. I can't see past like the fifth row. I couldn't tell you who, who you are. But what they're going to do is hand me some new glasses. I'm going to put my new glasses on. And I'm going to see more clearly than I did before. Faith is exactly that. Faith is like God hanging, handing us the glasses and saying, look, now open your eyes. Can you see Christ? Yeah. We'll take a hold of him. That's what faith is like. So I am justified by faith alone. Now, a lot of people were looking at Luther and said, right, Martin Luther, you, uh, we know what you're playing at. You're, you're saying that your salvation is based solely upon the work of Christ. We know what you're playing at. You, you just want to go spend time in the brothels, don't you? You just want to say, this is all about Jesus so you can get away scot-free. That's your get-out-of-jail-free card, is to say it's about Jesus. But of course, Luther never said that. He never threw away good works. He never threw away our righteousness. He would just say that it's all grounded in Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all through Jesus. And anything good that you do do is Jesus Christ. It's all him in you. So we never threw out the good works. He wanted to live that righteous life. He wanted the church to shoot for holiness. And he says, if you aren't changed by the gospel, then you don't know it. Look at these truths. Look at these truths. We are justified by gift of righteousness that is in Jesus alone and it's received by faith alone. Now look at Paul's conclusion, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. I know I've had you all over the place this morning. (laughs) Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Here's the key result. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, look at this. We have peace. I have to read that again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For the first time in his life, he found peace. Now we know our generation, like any generation before, has an insatiable hunger for peace. But there's something restless at the very core of who we are. There's something that can't sit still. There's something that searches for security. There's something that searches for relationship. There's something within us that wants to rid ourselves of the anxiety that we feel. Now we know the world around us and we even ourselves can run to the wrong places to find that satisfaction. But Martin Luther is uncovering a gospel that we find in Scripture, that we too can read this today, that peace can be had at the deepest possible places of who we actually are because we can be justified not by our righteousness, but by Jesus Christ alone. That's what's going to set us free. So, So this brings peace to anyone who hears it, into our guilt and our shame. I think my work, of, work as a pastor has shown me one thing. <laughs> We've all got skeletons in our closets. <laughs> We've all got something we wish we weren't or we wish we hadn't have done. What was this gospel say? Your salvation isn't dependent on your righteousness. What does it say? You can be set free and you can know peace. It, it, it gives us peace. Secondly, in our hard times. For Martin Luther, his life was about to get very difficult. But all through it, he knew a peace. And whatever he faced, whatever we face, we know there is a part within us now that is completely untouchable. Isn't that why Horatio Spafford wrote that song we just sung? It is well with my soul. When peace like a river and billows are crashing, when waves are crashing over me, everything in his life fell apart. But what could he say in the middle of those hard times? It is well with my soul. I can have a peace that transcends anything I face. Failing body, failing world, failing relationships. But Jesus Christ's righteousness has been declared over me. And I can have a peace in the middle of that. And lastly, it gives us peace when we're trying to prove ourselves. We we live in a world bent on educating us that we need to prove ourselves. Your achievements, your own good works, through your own righteousness, your own job, your friendship circles, the kind of kids you have. But we're now being set free from things like that. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. You know, this truth of being justified, as Martin Luther rediscovered what the Bible actually says leaves us in this empty space of forgiveness it, it leaves us in this space where, we, where we're trying to reach out for something we're trying to reach out for good works we try and reach out for achievements, we, we try and reach out for our perfect attendance records we try and reach out to the kind of people we know we reach out to all these things but this truth leaves us in an empty space And the only thing we can grab a hold of is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is the truth of being justified. We'll get to sing about it in just a second. But I want to pray and ask the Lord to help us really, really understand this. Lord, we're grateful that 500 years ago, you helped the church prevail 
and the message of the gospel ring out to normal people like us. We thank you for the truths within Scripture that are unique, the truths that set us free. So, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to see how we're justified, how we're seen as righteous in your sight by a gift that comes from you that is only in Jesus Christ alone and received by faith alone? We know that will give us peace. We know that would satisfy the insatiable hunger that resides within the human heart. We know we won't find rest until we find rest in you. To help us see it by your Holy Spirit. And we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen.